with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you will give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Daniel, later in the passage that we read this morning, says to the king, there is a God who reveals. That's our key verse for today. And then you have to begin by asking yourself a question. In what do you trust? Now, I don't know about you, but my money and my wallet, and there's never enough of it, have you noticed that? Says, in God we trust. And I find that fairly amusing because I think God has almost nothing to do with the printing of the money. And certainly our money goes up and down in value. And if I'm going to trust in God, maybe I shouldn't trust so much in the green pieces of paper in my wallet that say, in God we trust. Now, Vicki and I are going to Scotland and Ireland in August, and Vicki's never had foreign money in her hand. I'm looking forward to it because it has all different colors. It looks like Monopoly money. Ireland uses the euro, and their money is red and orange and green and blue, and the British pound also comes in different colors, and their coins look funny. But we sometimes put more trust in our money than in God. Sometimes we trust in family. Have you ever noticed that family sometimes isn't there when you need them? Or they'll tell you why you got into the trouble you're in and it's your fault? Family sometimes is not supportive. We, we can't always trust in them. And we can't always trust in our knowledge or our education or our experience. There's always going to be something like King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that we as human beings go, this is impossible to solve on our own. And believe it or not, that's the point that God wants us to get to. He wants us to get to the place where there's nothing we can do except turn to God. Corey Tamboom puts it this way. She says, is your prayer life a steering wheel or a spare tire? Do you check in with God daily or throughout your day and, and look for his direction and guidance in everything you do? Or do you just throw up, I have a, a flat tire in my life, Lord, I've got a problem and I, I need you to get me out of this. See, God gets us to the place or lets us get to the place where I can't do it on my own strength or my own wisdom or my own knowledge or my own effort or my own passion. I have to lean on God's leadership, inspiration, and strength. Well, how do you do that? If you haven't figured it out, we're going to be talking about prayer today. Now, too many of us call on God only when we're in need and not on a daily basis. If it's a relationship between us and God, we are not holding up our end. Do you have a friend that only calls you when they need something? <laughs> or do you have a child who only calls you when they need something? I, I know that my mom used to always complain, or she still does, like, you never call me enough. I call her every Thursday afternoon just to check in. But have you talked to those parents who say, my kids never call? And I remind my mom that the phone works in both directions. Oh, she says, you're so busy, I, I don't want to interrupt. Well, sometimes we treat God that way, don't we? We say, well, you know, this is just a little thing. I won't talk to him about it. 
God wants to be our best friend. David, you know, was listed as a friend of God. I don't know about you, but I like to talk to my friends. I love the, the, the episode in Big Bang Theory where Sheldon and Leonard, the two super nerdy brainiacs, are having a fight, and Sheldon decides to find a new best friend. And his wife, Amy, says, well, I'll be your best friend. He says, you can't be my best friend. Who am I going to complain about you to? Okay, well, I thought that was funny. Anyway, I, I have two very good friends, and I need to talk to them. I need to share with them. They share with me. I just had lunch with a good friend, and when she and I sit down, with Vicki's permission, we decide who needs to talk first. <laughs> who needs to emote? Who needs to get things off their chest? And we, we usually spend a good hour and a half, two hours together, helping one another through the challenges of life. Well, if I have a friend, an earthly friend, who does that for me, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a heavenly friend that would do that for me? Now, Daniel has a rather big problem. And you, you may say to yourself, well, Doc, why did we start with this story? Everybody starts Daniel with the vegetable story, right? The king is bringing the food and the boys eat the vegetables. That's actually next time we're together sermon. We're going to do five sermons on Daniel. Why would you start here? Because I want to show you, I want us to discover to get together Daniel's approach to life and problems. So Daniel hears that all of the enchanters, the magicians, and the Chaldeans are going to be put to death. Would that upset you? Would that upset you if you were a magician, an enchanter, or a Chaldean? Hopefully your answer is yes. <laughs> I'd rather not die. However, they have been given an impossible task. Tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now let's take a little detour here. I call it chasing a rabbit. Now, this is very much from my elementary school teaching, but go like this if you have really interesting dreams. Okay. Now, go like this if you don't remember any of your dreams. Okay. Now, you're not the only one. When we get up in the morning, I always have really interesting dreams. The other day I dreamed, for some strange reason, that I was at an antique shop, which, by the way, I don't go to voluntarily. I'm married to somebody who likes antique shops. Well, this antique shop in my dream had a deal that you could pay $200 and you could pick up anything you wanted and carry it out the door. Well... You've only known me for one Sunday, but I have pocket watches. I love pocket watches. Today's pocket watch is Jiminy Cricket. And I went through, and they had these most wonderful pocket watches, and I came out with a handful of pocket watches. This is my strange dream. And then I was worried about where I would store them, because I have a pocket watch jewelry box at home, not in the dream for real, but it's already full. And then I would have to explain to Vicky. Well, I had to buy an extra pocket watch jewelry box. Now, can we all agree that that's a fairly strange dream? Okay, I'm going to agree. And can we agree that there's no eternal significance to a handful of pocket watches? Sometimes dreams are just silly. 
Well, this dream wasn't silly, and the king got tired of doing, in his mind, the work for his magicians, his enchanters, and his Chaldeans. He's like, no, I do the hard work, I have the dream, and then you tell me what it means, you got to do both. So what does Daniel do? If you're taking notes, he does five things. Very important that you do these and do them in order. The first one is he shared the need. That's what we did during our prayer time today. We said this is a need, and then we joined together in prayer. But I can't pray for you if I don't know for what to pray. Now, in the olden days, and I'm going back to the 1980s, for some reason, pastors were supposed to find their parishioners in hospitals. Did you know this? They taught you this. When you're a young pastor, you would go in, and you'd, you'd go to Underwood, or you go over to Elmer, and you would go up to the desk, and they would give you this big, huge booklet of all the people in the hospital listed by their denomination. And if you were a new pastor, you took with you the church directory. And you put the church directory here, and you go, that name looks familiar. And you had to find the people in church, or in the hospital, who went to your church. If you didn't find them, they'd be furious. I was in the hospital, they would say, and you didn't find me. I'm like, I've only been your pastor for a week. How am I supposed to know everybody in the church? They would get mad at you. So the first thing you have to do is share the need, the issue, or the problem with the community of faith. The second thing you have to do, and I want you to hear this, is we have to agree to pray on the matter. Now, some churches take their prayer requests and they actually put it in the back of the bulletin so that when you go home, you take your bulletin with you and you can pray for those people every day. Some churches, we only pray for those requests on Sunday morning. But the second thing is we need to agree to pray on the matter. And I want to be very clear, no designated prayers. Everybody is responsible for their own prayer life. The third thing we need to do, and I want you to hear this, is we need to expect an answer. God is not up there with his hands over his ears going, nah, 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 nah. He listens to every request. He answers every request. But sometimes we don't look for the answers. We have to pray expectantly. Then when you have an answer, whatever that answer is, you need to be grateful for the answer that God has answered your prayer. We need to thank him for being God, for his blessings, and the answers to our specific prayer. Now, if the prayer requires action, what do we have to do? You have to act on the answer to the prayer. Daniel had the answer. It came in a vision at night. But if he just sat in his house and never told the king the answer to the prayer, he would have been put to death with all of the magicians, the enchanters, and the Chaldeans. Now, I want you to tell when I was a young pastor, and some of you might think I'm still a young pastor, but I, I'm older than I used to be. I used to think that we needed to teach people how to pray. You remember learning acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication? Bill Bright called it spiritual breathing, out with the sin, in with the blessings of God. And you know what? It's come to my attention and opinion that we don't need to be taught how to pray. 
God listens to each and every one of us. Imagine if I sat down with my best friend that I had lunch with this week, and I said, oh, thou gracious friend, you are <laughs> the brightness of my day. I appreciate, right? God doesn't need the fancy language. He needs you to wake up in the morning and go, good morning, God. Perhaps not good God, it's morning. Good morning, God. And tell him what you've got laid out for your day. Tell him what you're excited about. Tell him what you're worried about. Pray for the people you're going to meet. It becomes a daily conversation. So that now that I'm a more mature pastor, I'm more concerned about when we pray and that we have gratitude when we pray. I don't think enough people look for those answers and then are thankful. In my own life, I found that by increasing my awareness of God's gifts, blessings, and hand in my life, I personally find peace, direction, and purpose. That's a steering wheel prayer life. Let me finish with a true story and a challenge. Poor Vicki has heard this story before. I apologize to Vicki in advance. I was driving along, and I realized that I was running out of gas. And I like to go to the same gas station every time, because you get to trust them. They know how much gas you want in your car, right? And I don't like going to a new gas station. Maybe you feel the same way. But I, the E was on, the light was flashing, so in I pulled. I'll never forget, the guy filled it up to $28. And while it was filling up, he washed my windows. Now, when I was in college, back in the late 70s and early 80s, I worked for Hess. Do you remember how nice it was to go to a Hess gas station? They were always clean. The guys had the white uniforms with the green stripe and the epaulets. And what would they do? They would take your gasoline order and they would start washing your front window. And then they'd go around and put the gas in. They'd wash the back window. They'd go around the other side, finish the back, do the front. They might do the mirrors on the side. We were even taught to wash the bugs off of the headlights. And then they would say something you'll never hear today. If you pop the hood, I'll check your oil. When's the last time somebody checked? No, they don't do it anymore. So I'm sitting in the car filling up, and this guy's washing my windows. Now, I often get out to encourage them to put a little more in because they like to stop when it clicks off, and there's usually another gallon that you can get in, and I drive about 500 miles a week, so I need all the gas I can get. So he fills it up, and like I said, it stops at 28. He closes it up, and he looks at me. I look at him, and I give him $30, and he looks at me, and I look at him. I said, where's my $2? He said, it's my tip. I said, what? What? In my day, I said, in my day, we wash the windows for free. We clean it. And I let him, I mean, I was, woo. Thank goodness I didn't have my collar on and, it, and no, no pastor sticker on the bumper of the car. Like, in my day, this was part of the, the service. So he gives me my $2 back, and he probably talked about me forever. So about a week, two weeks later, I go to my regular gas station, who does not wash windows. And I got out, and I got the squeegee. Because, you know, they always keep the bucket there. I got out, and I picked it up, and the guy says, oh, that's the worst squeegee ever. And he was right. It was terrible. 
It, it got the window wet, but when you turned it over, sorry, when you turned it over, the rubber would not clean the window. Now, let me tell you why. You have to break in a squeegee. That rubber has to be used over time, and then it gets flexible, and you can clean the window. Now, I realize some of you are wondering, why is he spending so much time on this? The squeegee is very much like our prayer life. We know it's there. We know what it's for. We know how to use it. But we don't use it, and then we complain when we don't think it works. I want you to hear that. We know how to use it. We know what it's for. Everybody who's ever set foot in the church has said at least one prayer, even if it's the Lord's Prayer. We know what it is. We know how to use it. We know what it does. And then when we don't do it regularly, we complain that it's not working. So if we're talking about God and steering wheels and spare tires, uh, I don't know if you drive by the Barnesboro Methodist Church, but they always have really neat things on their sign. And last week, this is what they had. It said, if God is your co-pilot, change seats. I want you to think about that. If God is your co-pilot, change seats. Who's supposed to be driving? Not you. God. Steering wheel, not a spare tire. Make it a point, a part, a priority, priority of your life to pray and let God become your steering wheel. Pray with other Christians, not a solo performance. That's the last thing I want you to think about is that the first thing Daniel did was he gathered his prayer group together. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed together. They shared their chorus of voices and concerns to God. And I'm going to finish with this. When God answers our prayers, and I'm not saying if God answers our prayers, when God answers our prayers, when he directs and convicts and inspires us, we need to thank him, and we need to act. Amen.